Hi, I'm George Sekmanchow with another Easton Target Archery Podcast. Today's episode, a real pachinko ball of content. We've got Tom Dillon from World Archery talking about the World Games, World Field Championship schedule, and how everything will be affected going into the calendar. We've also got an update of the lockdown challenge taking place with World Archery's latest initiative, recurve shooters this time. We'll be talking with Steve Anderson, covering listener questions and a bunch more. So stick with us as we're about to get underway. Again, welcome Tom Dillon to the podcast. Tom, thanks for joining us from Lausanne. Pleasure, George. Tom, a lot to talk about this week uh, as we start to accelerate back toward getting some competitions back underway. We're going to talk about the lockdown challenge for recurve, which has got some exciting developments and also some uh, some more news regarding some event stuff that you know has been quite important to many of our listeners. Uh, just starting off with World Field and and where things stand, we got a pretty good information dump last week from Bruce Cull, who was the organizer for that particular event. I'd like to get WA's perspective on this because there's a lot of dominoes that get into motion when the decision is made to postpone an event like World Field, which is now postponed till 2022. So please give us your perspective on this. Well, I think that um, we we needed some certainty, and um, the the problem was that uh, based on what we know today, there was no guarantee that uh, I would say all athletes that would like to go could go, um, or uh, I would say that um, uh, when they go back home, that they could go back home without any any guarantee, and and therefore um, I think that. Uh, it was the, I would say, sensitive approach uh, to say, okay, let's um, uh, not hold it this year. Then we looked uh, with Bruce, can we do it next year? But next year the calendar is so full that uh, it just didn't make sense to do it next year because then we would have ended up with the same issue like this year that uh, half of the people wouldn't go, not because they can't go, but because they were too busy with other uh, events. So. Um, it, there was no real other option than to postpone until 2022. And um, we we know that uh, Jan could have done a, a great event uh, this year. Uh, and they will do a fantastic event in 2022. Yeah, as a practical matter, though, travel is still not anywhere near back to normal. Um, visa offices in foreign countries from the United States are still closed, as far as I'm aware, in many places. And... It would have made it a virtually impossible task for people to have arranged travel in the time frame that was available. And I think yes, that, and I think uh, we, we wanted to avoid, especially since it was uh, for the field archery uh, competition, the, the the only qualifier for the World Games. We didn't want to end up that certain people couldn't qualify because they couldn't travel, uh, and therefore, uh, in the interest of I would say fairness to all athletes. Uh, we had to make that call. Yeah, and I think it was a good call. I don't think anybody would dispute that. I also feel, though, that, uh, you know, we, as we continue to postpone events, we, we, the Piper will be paid sooner or later with a super busy calendar year. Uh, next year, for example, you have another big event in Yankton, and that, of course, is the World Championship. And, of course, we've got the Olympic Games and a lot of other stuff going on so yeah this, this is the thing and then the, and uh, we, we're trying to find the i would say a maximum number of events we can shift to 2022 but that's i would see in a sort of sense pushing away the problem to the year after but 
uh, I, I think we we're now getting into a an, a balanced uh, situation for twenty one and twenty twenty two, and uh, we are definitely still looking in having some events uh, this year as well. We can't give more detailed information, but it's 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 looking that we can have some events. Maybe not for all archers uh, around the world, but for uh, areas of the world where things are getting better. Sure. And I think that we are really looking forward to virtual events like the one we're going to talk about as well, because those have turned out to be super popular. But I'm getting ahead of myself just a bit. We'll talk about the lockdown shortly. Um, Continuing just with the discussion regarding the calendar for next year, Olympic preparation seems to be continuing. Japan has... Uh, opened up again to what they consider to be the new normal. And um, that's kind of the old normal in places like Tokyo where people wear masks pretty routinely during pollen season and things like that. So uh, if you're walking around in Japan right now, you're, you're, not, really, you're not really seeing something totally out of the ordinary. Um, hopefully, the, you know, as they monitor the situation there, things will continue to improve. Um, what's your perspective on Olympic preparation now? Well, I think that, uh, well, there was a IOC executive board meeting yesterday where there was a progress report from Tokyo and, and the feedback I got uh, on it uh, today is, is quite good. Uh, things are, are moving ahead now. Uh, they are looking at, at making some adjustments to what originally was planned, uh, mainly to, to save some costs, but the IOC president was very clear in his press conference when he stated that uh, the only area where they will not make any compromise is the actual field of play. So that we won't see potentially any difference when we uh, watch the event, but there could be effects involving some things behind the scenes. Absolutely, that's that's clearly the idea. And uh, right, the athlete's performance will not be impacted by those changes. And, uh, uh, and we'll see how the rest goes. But uh, I, I think that we we are starting to see it's going the right way and then like i said japan is is definitely on the right track in europe we see progress every day uh and uh yeah it's yeah it doesn't mean that the problem is away uh, is already gone away for sure not no uh, no nobody nobody's under any illusions now i think anybody that was really hopeful that this thing would just sort of evaporate by june would uh would agree that perhaps it's going you know, kind of the middle approach. It's not the horrible uh, specter of disaster that many people predicted, but it's also not, you know, not just uh, like flipping a switch going away. So, you know, we're seeing continuing effects and probably will be for some time in terms of our sport because of the, you know, the fact is that we're going to be looking at things like social distancing and other factors for, you know, the foreseeable future in our sport, I think. Yeah, and we'll we'll have to find solutions for it, and uh, and and work uh, very well with uh, the local health authorities to find the best solution. Well, as we continue to look at other things, um, we've had a real tournament, and that was in Turkey recently. And um, I think that that was held up as an example of a way to get back into competition while maintaining all of the protocols that are in place to protect the health of the athletes and the participants like volunteers and judges and that sort of thing. Do you have any comments about that particular event? Yeah, it was it was was good. Uh, we, I, we were able to, to broadcast some of the images and I think it, it's shown clearly that it's possible. Uh, 
maybe some people would see certain things as exaggerated, but uh, it was a normal tournament. There was a good level of competition. It was also fun to see the, the traditional archers shooting uh, at 70 meters. And uh, now and we saw that uh, definitely the Turkish team is, uh, is on track. We're uh, going to shift gears and talk about some more fun, and that is the, uh, the second lockdown knockout, which World Archery has organized after the successful knockdown uh, that took place for compound shooters back in May. And you pretty quickly put together a recurve program. And we've got some, uh, some very recognizable and fun shooters involved in this, uh, in this event, including our good friend Crispin Duenas, who's the number one qualifier. Yeah, I think everyone was expecting uh, Brady to finish first, and uh, he, he was close up until three hours before the end to, to at least tie with uh, Crispin. But uh, uh, yeah, Crispin, uh, I think, uh, uh, put his foot on the table and uh, finished first. Yeah, no doubt about it. The two-point advantage for Crispin Duenas. Brady Ellison second in the qualification. Crispin had a 595. Brady with a 593. Great scores, by the way. Uh, Steve Weiler, um, the young guy from Netherlands, he's got a 589. Ida Rahman, the Olympic silver medalist from the London Games, uh, is fourth with a 579. The American Casey Koffold is tied with the Netherlands shooter, former Mexico shooter Gabby Bayardo, and also Bernardo Oliveira. All of them have a 577. And then we have the Turkish archer Yasemin Anagots with a 559. Not as, not as strong there, but... Uh, Certainly, well, she, uh, in I, the game. like she said, she hadn't shot for two years on indoor. I never shot on a triangular uh, face, so um, a little it adjustment. was uh, an early experience for, for her, and uh, uh, she could she could uh, surprise people in the in the matches. Yeah, I suspect you might be right, particularly since it's a different mindset, and she might have gotten used to the fact that you know, for somebody that hasn't shot in two years, to suddenly find yourself in front of the world, literally. Uh, it could probably be a little nerve-wracking. No, and the other factor that played a role, <clears throat> she was shooting outdoors on the Antalya field, and the Antalya field is not known to be uh, a completely wind-silent field. No, it, you know, it's not an indoor tournament from that perspective by no means, and certainly it's a windy place in Antalya. Uh, always a great place to go to, one of the true archery destinations, but uh, not without its challenges in terms of the conditions. And uh, we've had some pleasant surprises out of Antalya because of that, and who knows, we might see another one. So we've got eight recurve archers taking part in the lockdown knockout. And uh, once again, each of the archers filmed the round themselves. Um, so the whole thing was recorded. And then the head-to-head -head portion, that's all gonna be done live. Um, everybody will be connected by the internet. And uh, the match play, yeah. <laughs> match play starts this weekend um, on the 13th uh, of this month. And the men are on one bracket. The women are on the other side of the bracket. And the final, therefore, will be the last unbeaten man versus the last unbeaten woman. And the first of the matches takes place on Saturday. It's Gabby Bayardo versus Casey Coffold. So I'm expecting we're going to have a lot of Americans tuning in to watch this. What's the easiest way for people to watch this event, this well, semifinal, quarterfinal. I would say me. the easiest easiest ways is uh, for sure Facebook and YouTube. Um, then, if you have, uh, I would say, 
based on what I saw last time, if you have access to the Olympic Channel, the quality of the, the images is definitely uh, excellent. That's another option. Uh, and we also have uh, done Twitch, but not many were using that one last time, so I'm not sure if it's uh, the best way to look at it. But I, if you want to see it, you can find it. Uh, the time is every day the same, so it's quite easy to to follow. And uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see how it goes. Hey, we just hey Tom, we just had Steve join us. Um, slightly delayed here, but uh, you know, better late than never. Steve, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, thank you. Happy to be here. So, uh, Tom and I, as I mentioned to you, we were uh, we were talking about the World Games situation. We were also talking about the World Field situation and the complications there. You know, uh, we talked last week. Uh, World Games is postponed till twenty twenty two, and so is World Field. What's your point of view on that subject? I mean, to be expected, I guess. I, I wasn't expecting anything to have great participation at World Field this year, even if it was on. So it, it didn't really make sense to host it. And then obviously with next year becoming the Olympic year, and I, I don't know what the, the, the scoop is with World Outdoor Championships, but that really that really makes for a packed schedule. So then... Yeah, you've got to move world games as well. Yep, world outdoor is on as uh, as discussed, and uh, I think that we're going to have a, as you said, a packed year. We, uh, I think we're all aware of that. That's it's good and bad. I mean, it's good because we'll be coming back with a roar, won't we, Tom? Yeah, I think uh, it's uh, look. We we have to find a balance, and and uh, we had uh, all I would say athletes. Uh, groups involved. The IOC Athletes Committee made a clear statement that we shouldn't overload calendar in 2021. We had uh, our own Athletes Committee say exactly the same thing. So we, we are making uh, certain compromises and, and try to find the best balance for next year. Uh, and uh, we we know that uh, it's, it's, it's a challenge. Uh, for instance, now we have to find a solution for the qualification for the World Games. And uh, it's very much looking that we will add some days to an existing tournament next year um, and uh, to have a qualification for the, for the recap and the bearbow because Compound um, very likely will be qualified uh, at the World Championships uh, in Yankton. Uh, and we're working with the World Games Association at the moment to, to finalize the system. And then as soon as we have it ready, then uh, we'll publish it. Does that mean you're going to start practicing, Steve? Um, if it starts in 2021, I think I'm still good for a little while. <laughs> but yeah, I, I probably ought to start. All right, shifting back to the lockdown uh, knockout. Uh, we, you know, the recurve lockdown knockout is a thing, and I think that it's got people just, okay, maybe not as excited as actually going to a tournament and shooting, but for sure... The reaction to the compound one was great, and we've got some great shooters in this recurve lockdown. We were just talking about Steve, the uh, you know the people who are qualified in there. Crispin and Bernardo will be the first of uh, the. Uh, actually, no, I'm wrong. It's uh, it's it's Gabby Barriardo versus Casey Caulfield for the first of the quarterfinals taking place uh, this weekend. So the Olympic Channel here in the United States will be carrying that. Tom is what you were telling us. 
Uh, yes, exactly. And then on Sunday, we've got Ida Roman and Yasemin Anagats from Turkey. Uh, Monday, uh, the action doesn't stop because Monday, the third quarter final will be live between Steve Weiler and Brady Ellison, and that should be a firecracker of a match. Those two are pretty well matched. Oh, yeah, that's going to be a, a very interesting match for sure. Uh, and then not the, sure what, what their what head-to-head result is so far between those two, but I, uh, it's going to be an interesting match. I think it's on the order of 5-1. and one. Uh, The last time I looked at a commentator management system um, page, which was quite a while ago, but it was something like that. So Steve is probably, you know, looking for revenge. <laughs> we'll see what happens with uh, Brady and Steve on... On Monday, and then on uh, Tuesday of this upcoming week, Crispin versus Bernardo, and uh, the winner of that quarterfinal series will advance to the semifinals, and then the finals, which will be taking place uh, toward the end of the month. First semifinal will be on Thursday, the 18th of June, and then Friday, the 19th of June, and Sunday will be the final, um, and that should be a lot of fun to watch. We've got the best man versus the best woman for the final on June. 21st, which, uh, of course, will be the longest day of the year as well. So all of these uh, all of these matches will be available in the U.S. here on the Olympic Channel. You can follow World Archery on Facebook. You can also follow these matches. Uh, Twitter is uh, also in play. Is that right, Tom? Yes, yeah, Twitter as well, yeah, and then YouTube, yeah. So no reason to miss it. Hey, uh, Steve, you and Linda both participated in the compound lockdown knockout. Uh, give us your thoughts about, uh, uh, you know, the participation in that and how much fun that must have been. It was nice to feel uh, a little bit of tournament pressure, you know, just to get back into into that sort of environment. And I didn't really think it would be anything, you know, much. But when you're when you're on film and you know it, it, it does add to it a little bit. So it was, it was fun. It was good to get out and do it. Got the heart going a little bit. And, uh, you know, maybe it'll, it'll help us as we prep for our next tournament. It won't have been so long since we felt those tournament nerves. Yeah. Yeah. Fun stuff. And Bruce Cull, by the way, is uh, kind of inspired by what WA is doing on this. Tom, as you may know, he's also, working with the NFAA here in the U.S. to do some similar things. I have to presume some other federations might be looking at something similar. Have you heard about anything like that? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think uh, we, we had, uh, uh, as a result, for sure, many uh, archers contacting the National Federation saying, well, we should do the same. And uh, the thing is that uh, it, it looks very easy on, on paper, uh, but as Steve probably experienced, the reality is not so easy uh, because there's a lot of synchronization between uh, uh, feeds and uh, sound problems and uh, connection problems and so on. So it's not it's not as easy as it looks. But uh, we we've seen other initiatives as well. There is now a, a weekly competition going on in in uh, in certain uh, parts of the world where they uh, they basically um, use a. Uh, uh, the NCL scoring system, the app, and they uh, they post pictures of every end uh, through WhatsApp, and uh, it seems to be working quite well as well. Um, so I think more and more initiatives will come up, and and because people want to compete, it's very clear. Absolutely. And uh, we've we've had the question: okay, will there be a, after this weekend? Will there be another one? 
And our answer is very clear. Uh, if we can avoid it, uh, the answer is no, uh, because we definitely still want to have some kind of competition this year and uh, a, a real competition on a field of play with many archers. But if we can't, then we definitely will look and see how we can go uh, uh, to another uh, version of it. Uh, we're thinking of a, a team version uh, and uh, we'll see how it goes. Uh, but uh, of course, our, our by far preferred way would be that in, I would say, September, October, we have uh, some kind of outdoor competition in this uh, in this world yeah the difference is between watching a cooking show and doing something in your own kitchen you know that's a very good analogy and what worked really well on on, uh, on some of the TV channels the last few months was uh, cooking shows where people were connecting to their home through Skype and cooking the same thing like the chef was doing and that was a brilliant way of keeping people involved yeah, I like that Hey, um, we're going to shift gears one more time, and um, let me preface this by saying that the, you know this is quite a serious topic. But I don't want us to um, I don't want us to you know get too much in the weeds on the on the on the topic, and that has to do with something that came up last week when we talked with Rod Menzer from USA Archery. It seems like the requirements for organizers, the requirements for people participating in our sport in terms of their um, their credentials for being free of any issues that might be of concern to an organizer or to, say, a parent with a child on the field of play, those things are becoming a larger issue in the United States. There's a congressional act that has been passed that basically requires all organizers of an event to have... Uh, safe sport qualification uh, certification for basically anybody participating in the event. Um, this is something that is obviously part of the fallout from the terrible situation that took place in USA Gymnastics. Uh, we have been quite fortunate, I, I would say, in my in our sport that we have not had anything of that sort. Uh, you know that that is you know, a reason why it's in archery. It's not because of an issue with archery. It seems like it's an issue with people, right? And, and, uh, so just to, just to cut to the chase, it, it's looking like some of those same requirements that are now in place for organizers to have a lot of, uh, uh, shall we say paperwork to make sure that there are no issues with people participating some of that could eventually involve being able to participate in the sport as a competitor. Isn't that so? Well, I, I don't know the details of what exactly is happening in, in the U.S. And, and uh, you, you refer to, to information got from Rod, so I, I can't comment on the, on the exact information as such. There is unfortunately a tendency with, with many of these things that uh, the reaction to, to a big issue is, is an overreaction. Uh, and uh, we've seen it with, with this. Some people say the same with, with what we've gone through now with, with COVID-19 as well. Uh, and the thing is that um, people have to, to keep the dialogue going and, and find 
reasonable solutions that that don't kill uh, I would say sport because um, I remember and this is going back uh, several years ago uh, because I the whole issue of say sport is not new uh, is that uh, when uh, in the UK they started implementing certain restrictions it came to a point that R3GP lost more than half of its coaches uh they had to hire i think three staff to follow all of the necessary paperwork and so on and it changed quite dramatically the 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 way they were doing things now since then it seems to be working it seems to be um in a situation that it's manageable and 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 as much under control as it can be because well we have to be clear as well is that uh, sport cannot save the problems of the world and when you have a certain number of people together they are all not uh, I would say fantastic people and there's people that uh, shouldn't be in sport but it's um, it's unfortunately part of, of life and yeah that doesn't mean that we can ignore it uh, on the contrary we've, we've seen and uh, there have been cases in in other countries in the u.s in archery where uh through ignoring it the problem became much bigger and uh um, where uh, uh at a certain moment uh, it led to even people i would say uh writing books of it and then causing people to commit suicide and so on and so on so it's we can't ignore facts. We have to find solutions, but we have to find pragmatic and, and workable solutions. Yeah. Okay. I think that's enough of that. Um, Steve, you got any uh, you got any plans for the next few weeks in terms of getting out there and trying to shoot some competition? Is that something on your calendar right now? Uh, no, I have no plans. There's some three D stuff happening in the next few weeks, but. Uh, I will not be partaking in it, and that's it. That's all I've got on my plate otherwise. It's well, working, you know? All right. Get into our Facebook post from a couple weeks ago because it's time for us to answer some of those listener questions. And uh, before I let Tom go, I just want to say, Tom, congratulations on 20 years with Natalie. And that's a wonderful anniversary that you celebrated yesterday. And I just want to give my very best regards to Natalie as well. I will pass that on. I'm going to pause. By the way, I congratulate Steve uh, on uh, the excellent uh, online seminar you gave uh, for World Archery Americas, which was uh, something that was very appreciated. So uh, it, 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 unfortunately, it will make uh, some of the archers more competitive and you might have a hard time beating them in the future, but excellent <laughs> job putting it. Yeah, I, I think my my future in the sport is going to be more in the teaching side than the than the shooting side. But uh, welcome to my world. So yeah, so I don't mind. I don't mind if I can teach them a little bit, and I want to get a lot better at that presenting and kind of refine some of my info. You know, it, it's that can that seminar stuff is tough because a lot of people are afraid to ask questions in front of the group because they don't want to seem like they don't know. Um, so I sit there, I say, anyone have any questions on this? Nothing. And then 
I give them all my email at the end of the seminar and I get about a thousand questions come in. So, <laughs> you know, yeah. I'm like, hey, if you all would have asked this at the same time, everyone would have benefited from it, you know? So I'll I'll get better at it and they'll, you know, I'll, I'll do better at coaxing them into being more vocal as well, so. What's useful, Steve, especially if it's a remote kind of thing like that, is make it up. Pretend somebody asked a question and then answer it, and that will sometimes shake loose the rest of the group. <laughs> yeah, that's not a bad idea. Always good to talk okay. with Tom. All right. Hey, we're back. And, um, yeah, so some, you know, some fun stuff out there. Um, let's just flip it around to our listener questions that we posted up but didn't have a chance to go through because of how busy you've been and how busy I've been. Um so we've got a question here from Chris. He says that I've mentioned at least once that thinner arrows could be possible but would have much higher pricing and create issues with target butts. When designing a new arrow, at what stage does the retail price get factored in? Have there been any great arrows designed that got sunk because they would have been too high priced for archers? Uh the answer is uh no. Um, and yes, when designing a new arrow, at what stage does the retail price get factored in? It depends on the arrow. Um, obviously, with some arrows, you're going to want to figure out, okay, I have to occupy a certain price point in order for it to be viable for the specific purpose that it's meant for. Right, Steve? Right. I mean, there's when we're talking price categories of arrows, that or an arrow to, to compete in a certain category, that's literally the first thing that comes up is what's the target price and then what's the features after that now in the case of something like an x10 we just designed it for performance and then set the price i i don't know if that's a viable plan today because if we did the same thing you'd end up with thousand dollar arrows and that's that's a scary prospect so we don't want to go there (laughs) yeah as far as uh great arrows that have been designed that would have been too high price for archers um I would say part of what makes an arrow great is that you have the ability to get your hands on it and that it's attainable. And, you know, you get great performance and great um, durability, for example, and, you know, great tolerances, and you can still afford to buy the thing. So I, I think that's part of what makes an arrow great is that it's attainable and that it doesn't, you know, have a disproportionate price to performance. The dur- yeah, the durability thing factors in too because we have designed some arrows that were pretty good, but they weren't, they were like minimal use type thing. You know, it's like, well, this this is a great arrow, but it just doesn't have the durability to be viable in the real marketplace. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So there's, there's that aspect of things. You, again, that's part of the value proposition. You know, it has to have durability to go with the performance and safety and all of those factors come into play. So um, let's see here. We've got a question from, got a lot of uh, comments about the photo that went with that, by the way, the, uh, I kind of like a couple of these uh, answers that you got to the question of what kind of caption would you put on this photo? For those of you wondering, it's the May 20th post on Easton target Facebook and, uh, you can see the silly photo on there. Um, Daniel is asking a question. What's the difference between using aluminum or carbon arrows for indoor? Well, 
there's a <laughs> what's the difference between aluminum carbonaros? I mean, your your carbonaros are generally lighter, not a ton, really. When you're talking indoor version carbonaros, let's say let's say 23s, right? Our Superdrive 23 is very light compared to our uh, X23 series. So Superdrive 23. 325 spine all finished out for a lot of people is going to be probably 120 grains lighter than a X2315, which is a very common size a lot of people would use. So 120 grains, you're talking 40 feet per second or thereabouts in in bow speed. Um, But the beauty of indoors, it doesn't really matter. Your bow is fast enough generally to shoot a aluminum as well so uh, when I when I talk about this I'm referring to adult shooters I, I'll often refer younger shorter draw length shooters to a carbon arrow just because they do need to get the thing out of the bow and going yeah um, I'll, I'll point out that, I, go ahead yeah no well, I was just going to say that while Daniel is not really specifying which form of archery, I will point out that you've got way more tunability typically for a recurve shooter with an aluminum arrow versus most carbon arrows. Easton makes a size for just about everybody, but when it comes to the maximum diameter arrows that you want for line cutters, much easier to tune an aluminum setup for a recurve shooter. And, and I suppose the same exists for compounds as well to a degree. Yeah, it seems to be. Um, like I was saying, sometimes you you forego the spine argument and you don't try to get that proper. You try to just get something that will get out of the bow and, and work. And a lot of people shoot arrows that are far too stiff according to an arbitrary chart uh, when competing indoors. But uh, I prefer the aluminums. I like the, the feel of the heavier arrow. It softens the shot of the bow. Um, I feel pretty good about knowing that the aluminum is a higher grade of arrow, more precise, um, and I've got confidence in them. So that's that's really half the battle. I've shot my best scores with aluminum arrows, and I get a lot of consistency from each arrow in a dozen when I shoot aluminum arrows. Yeah, and it's still a true that statement. Certainly better than carbon. Still a true statement that the highest scores indoors have still been shot with aluminum arrows. Uh, Mike Schlusser's record 600 perfect score was set with an aluminum arrow with an Easton X23. Yeah. So. Um, you know, the recurve guys indoors, they're, they're knocking on the door of 600, right? It's going to happen. Obviously, Brady shot a 900 with 2512s, a, a big aluminum arrow. So he, you know he's got to have a 600 in the bag somewhere at some point next year, probably. Yep. Um, he shot a Brady, 900. Brady goes back and forth between RX-7s, which are, you know, large aluminum arrow, and X-10s. So who, who knows what he's going to be using the day he actually does it. But Yeah. So anyway, that's, uh, I hope that's a good answer for you, Daniel, that uh, there's one more factor, and I think it's an important one, and particularly with compound, it is so much easier to pull aluminum arrows out of the target um, in your typical target materials. And I, I'm serious. I think that does matter. Yeah, especially if you're in Europe. Daniel's uh, a U.S.-based 
archer. Yeah, but the Europeans but, uh, are stuck with stuff like Stramit, and boy, that stuff is hard to pull arrows out of. Yeah, I don't know if they're stuck with it. They choose to use it. No, I don't think the archers <laughs> choose to use it. <laughs> I, think the, I think the clubs choose to use it because it's cheap. But I don't think the archers yeah. would choose it. I, I really don't. Right. I think the archers, right. if they had their druthers, would go for a... Because somebody's paying for them, you know. <laughs> the archers are paying for them with having to, having to get more arrows over time, whereas the clubs are, you know... I mean, you got to have that balance, right? But uh, stram it, not good. Anyway, uh, moving on. Sam wants to know how you set your blade arrow rest. Do you level the arrow on the rest at brace or at full draw? I want to do it at full draw. So I use a little short piece of arrow to look at it or even just eyeball with no sag in the blade. But that's how I would do it. That way, when you get to full draw, you're not... Uh, sitting really really far off all right that that's kind of where you want it full draw yep mike has a question that's right up your alley for reading which i know you uh, miss having gone to this year for sure i think uh, <laughs> that probably speaks for about three thousand people for reading do you like a dot or a fiber in your scope and what size of either do you prefer dot or fiber and what size of either i shoot a dot with a fiber in it so it's a, it's made by Feather Vision. They have what they call their DSA reticle, dual spectral aiming or something like that. Um, and it's, I shoot a 60,000 dot with a 19,000 fiber going through it. So I use, for redding, I use a black dot with a green fiber. We've got a question from Alex who wants to know what is the difference between the Contour versus the Contour CS stabilizers? Why don't you take that one since you designed them? Well, the Contour is a stabilizer that was meant... Both, both stabilizers are meant to give you an advantage shooting outdoors in the wind by reducing the diameter of the front of the stabilizer but still maintaining the stiffness. Both of them perform the same in that regard. But the Contour CS was originally designed to be a more suitable stabilizer for compound. Now, it, the reason we did it that way was to create the feel that guys like Steve want with a lot of weight on the weight stack. The contour, the regular contour, is a little softer of a stabilizer. It's still pretty stiff, and it was meant to be ideal feel for a recurve shooter. In reality, a lot of this depends upon the combination of how much weight you're going to use. And if you're going to use more weight, the Contour CS may have a better feel. If you're going to use less weight, say your old school typical recurve, three, four ounces on the front, the regular Contour might be the way to go. Um, the great thing is that oftentimes at events, uh, Easton will have personnel there and you'll be able to actually try these things. You can actually go to the Easton booth at events like the Vegas shoot and go shoot them yourself with different weight combinations. You can just go borrow them and go off and, and practice on a bale and get the feel yourself, which I think is a really good thing. I think people have had a lot of uh, good experiences with the try it before you buy it plan there, Steve. I think that is something that uh, people really like. Yeah, it's a no-brainer. I mean, it's in most every other sport or hobby, you get to try or test out 
something. And even on the hunting side of, of archery, generally you get to test out the bow. You know, people might not get to test out, uh, you know, an arrow or uh, releases or stabilizers everywhere with everything. But if we can if we can make that viable, we want to do it just because we think once people try it, they're probably going to like it. Yeah. And so I think it's a good plan there. Hey, we have to announce a winner for the uh, caption of the uh, May 20th photo that we posted. And I am going to nominate Daryl Hunt, whose caption was, I'm telling you right now, I don't care how big you are. If you don't turn that hat around, just because I like it. Uh, so Daryl's your winner not. of a dozen aluminum arrows. Yes. Daryl All Hunt. right, sign him up. All right. That'll do okay, it. I will get a hold of Daryl. I know him. All right. Well, that's even better. I I don't, but I would suggest that uh, that would be, in my opinion, the best answer. When you see the photo, you'll understand. All right. Hey, Steve, what do you got coming up this week? Uh, any fun stuff? Nope. <laughs> Nothing. Nothing fun. You got a new doggy. You got a new doggy. You can't tell me that you're not going to spend some time with the new doggy. Yeah, he's kind of being, I mean, he's like, what, 10 weeks old or something? He's being a terrorist right now. Like he Chewing on he's stuff crazy. he's not supposed to chew on? Yeah, mostly me. Um, so, yeah, this weekend I'll probably, you know, I'm going to shovel some dirt and get chewed on by the dog, and that's about it. Yeah, I might play golf with some of the Hoyt guys. Oh, yeah, golf. Yeah, golf. So, do they allow you, know. you to use a golf cart yet, or is it still uh, you got to carry your bag kind of situation with the social distancing stuff? No, they've let us use a golf cart, but you have to use your own. So, like, you, you wait, 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 wait. You're in a party of four people. You got to use four golf carts. Yeah, I think it's awesome. <laughs> is is there any golf cart racing as a result? Um. Yeah, Brian Gold and I race carts a lot. We race his. Uh, his cart last time was way faster. I had like the slowest cart in the world last time. So I don't know. But, even, you know, if we have evenly matched carts, he's got the weight advantage on me. So he always seems to pull away. But so you feel like you're, you feel like your cart wasn't properly charged or something? What, what happened? Something was seriously wrong with this cart last time. And I, you know, I didn't go in and ask for a refund because it was slow play on the course anyways. Um, but say say I was out on the course first one out and I wanted to knock out a round in two hours 45 minutes that cart was not going to let me do it so it's the cart yeah I understand that's a difficult thing alright Steve well we'll catch up again next week with another podcast well, what uh, about you? you oh me? riding your motorcycle somewhere or what? Yeah, well, you know, actually, I'm working on some stuff, and um, so I will exercise discretion and take Saturday off uh, and go out and uh, terrorize the canyons on my sport bike. How's that? Nice. That's about like it. a great time. Yeah, it actually is fun. But um, I've got a bow coming soon, and I need to, I need to start practicing again, so that, that should be fun, too. So, yeah, shooting compound, recurve, what you shooting? Not recurve. Huh. You know, just working on well, never know. sharpening the sword, trying to trying to keep my skills. 
Okay, here's the reality. The reality is what I really am working on is making sure that I don't look like a fool this time when I stand up in front of a bunch of people in August when I do a seminar in Switzerland and demonstrate something. That's the important thing. I, I, you're kind of there too. I, I know, you know, you know, practice yeah. enough so you look like you still know what you're doing. That's, yeah, the minimum amount. But enough so that, you know, you're not... Enough. So that you're not shaking at full draw and all that ugly stuff. All right. <laughs> all right, Steve. End of show? Yeah, end of show. <laughs>